Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. Hello, all you cool kids out there. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. I think you're going to be super excited about my guest today. Before I get started, I want to start with the quote I usually do. No one cares about your life as much as you do. Tom Shaw happens to be the father of our guest, Jeffrey Shaw. And before I introduce him, I want to share some news that I'm starting a six-month group coaching program in mid-September called Your High Dollar Happy Client Sales System. Feel free to contact me if you want to learn more and sign up. You can go to lucydumascoaching.com or lucy at lucydumas.com. And remember, Lucy's with an I. If it's after September, these are recorded, so you can jump in the class and catch up easily. So I am thrilled to have Jeffrey Shaw as my guest today. He is the host of an awesome podcast called Creative Warriors. He is a TEDx speaker, a brand consultant, keynote speaker, and author of a wonderful book called Lingo, Discover Your Ideal Customer's Secret Language, and Make Your Business Irresistible. He was a guest speaker at PPA Imaging Expo this year in, where were we, Jeffrey? Atlanta. <laughs> and, and as I asked people, who was your favorite speaker? Jeffrey always came up. He has been one of the most sought-after portrait photographers in the U.S. for over 30 years. And his list of famous and influential people that he's photographed is too long to mention. <laughs> and his portraits have appeared on The Oprah Show, in People Magazine, O Magazine, and others. So hello, and thank you so much for being on my show, Jeffrey. Well, I'm excited to be here, Lucy. And congratulations to you for launching a, a new and awesome podcast. I hear it's going really well. So I'm happy for you. Thank you. Yeah, I think you're episode 14. Awesome. So first question, I'd like to know a little about your background in photography. Sure. You know, the quote you offered was from my father. So my father enjoyed photography as a hobby. So we coincidentally had a dark room in the house. So my first love for photography was really playing in the chemicals and back in the day when we had dark rooms. You know, it's been interesting, Lucy, to see how that initial impression about photography really influences my mindset today in that I love transformation. And it's the one thing, you know, photography is still about transformation, but there was nothing quite like witnessing transformation in a tray when we have to play in the dark. And it's interesting to me how that still plays out, you know, in the work I do today as a brand consultant and as a coach, you know, and, and as a speaker, watching people's lives transform. It still is magical. In fact, it's probably more magical to me than even back in the day of darkroom. But my initial love for photography was just really about transformation. I couldn't believe how we could transform something on a piece of paper. So my true love for photography initially came from the darkroom and eventually I ran out of things that were available to me to print and I started doing some shooting and I just went out into the world shooting whatever I could so that I had something to print. But I, I seemed to be good at it. And next thing I knew I was being, you know, in high school, I was getting national awards and 
The irony of, I think, a lot of us creatives in business is that we often choose a creative route, whether it's writing or being a photographer, we often choose these creative routes that allow us to alienate ourselves in some ways, you know, be a bit reclusive because so many of us creatives are introverts. And that was true for me as a photographer. You know, there was always this box between me and the world. So and I would look around when no one was looking, I would snap a photograph as if it was a, it was a criminal act. To, to take photographs. <laughs> but the irony is, is that if you're good at this, suddenly you're thrown into the spotlight. And that's exactly what happened to me. You know, and even in high school, I started getting national awards and I did a tour with Kodak of some of my photographs. I had to go to art openings and then I went off to photography school and graduated top of the class and I wound up having to speak at graduation because the class nominated me as the representative and and there you go. You know, so the the career path I chose that I thought was going to help me hide from the world actually threw me out into the spotlight. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Jeffrey, I remember being at a party once when I was at that point where I had become addicted to photography. I loved the darkroom as well. And thinking, huh, I'm like hidden in plain sight here. Interesting. Because I'm actually an extrovert, but I know what you mean. There's something about having a camera that puts us in the midst of the world, and yet we're not quite seen. So yeah, interesting how you were forced into the spotlight here. So how about if you tell us a little about your book, Lingo, and you can include your transition from a struggling photographer to a highly sought after successful photographer. Sure. And it was a major turning point. It's really all the lessons in the book lingo really came from a turning point moment in my own life and in, in the building my photography business. What's been interesting to me is to see the way people have responded to a story that I share right in the beginning of the book about my struggles in the first three years. And I thought everyone, you know, I, and I think everyone does relate to the struggle of starting a new business. I just didn't find it overly vulnerable to share, but it's been interesting how other people have constantly remarked how transparent and vulnerable I was. And I'm glad I was because I, I hope it helps people see that we all go through this, this challenge. And for me, you know, granted, I started out young. I was 20 years old when I first went into business as a photographer. But unlike a lot of people, I was married at the age of 20. I had an apartment. I had bills. And you know, I had, I had a studio space, which had expenses. And so not making it was a big deal, right? I mean, it doesn't seem like I should have a lot at risk at 20 years old, but I did. And you know, looking back, I think the thing I had most at risk is I didn't know anything else to do. I had no other career path. So it was extremely detrimental to not succeed at first as a photographer. And I share the story in the book how... I literally couldn't afford, I would go to the bank and the bank teller would tell me I didn't have $150 to transfer from my business account to my personal account. And I needed that money to make it through the weekend and it wasn't there. So it was three years of really hard struggle and working endless hours with enthusiasm and with commitment and knowing this sort of, but I just eventually got to the point that it was obvious that I was barking up the wrong tree. I was trying to build what I thought was a high-end portrait photography business in my hometown, which was anything but high-end. I mean, the community I grew up in, my hometown, was a you know, lower socioeconomic group, people struggling to get by month after month. And here I was promoting the value of photographs that the, as an investment, right? Invest in photographs to hand down from generation to generation. And people that are struggling to get by month to month, week to week, investment is not in their lingo. 
And that's when I realized I was completely speaking the wrong lingo of the people that I was trying to serve. And that left me with the, the dilemma of deciding either I changed everything about myself and everything I believed about the value of being a portrait photographer, which I think is tremendous. I think what we do is amazing, right? And it is worth an investment and it is something that should be handed down from generation to generation and, and valued to the utmost. And what was I going to do? Was I going to change my entire belief system about that and just become an affordable photographer? Was I going to bend to the day and, you know, and, and become a photographer where you could get photographs for $19.99 like Sears or Olin Mills or those chains? Or was I going to find the people that valued what I did? And that was the road I chose. I did a deep dive into who I was, what I valued, and who in the world would match up with that. And that's when I determined, ultimately, I needed to work with an affluent group of people and not because they were the road to riches, but because we shared similar values. I didn't grow up affluent. I grew up very middle class, lower middle class, but I somehow understood because of photography, I had such a long range vision and value for having photographs. And it's a luxury item. And I realized the only people that would share those values were people that could afford luxury and discretionary income. And that's ultimately why I completely rebranded who I was as a photographer, restarted my business two hours away from my hometown, restructured everything from my business name to my pricing structure to everything. And that all became the lessons of my book, Lingo, which is no matter where you are today, you can create any business you want and serve the people that you are meant to serve that value what you do if you take the time to understand their lingo. I knew nothing about wealthy people, but I knew in my gut they were the ones that I was meant to serve. And I therefore set out to understand with tremendous empathy and curiosity what their lingo was because I knew I didn't have to be from their world. I just had to understand their world in order to serve them. And that's really what, to me, speaking someone's lingo is all about. So thank you. I love that story in the book, and I love hearing you share it. Again, something that, and I don't know if it's in the book or I heard someone else mention this. I've heard this over and over again, that rich people are rich because they don't spend their money. And if that were true, you and I would not have had a business. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> I think the bigger lesson there, Lucy, honestly, is every stereotype that we have heard. First of all, I'm not a fan, to say that lightly, of, of stereotypes and judgments, right? No matter where you currently stand in your lives, it is just your way out of the league to assume you know something about anybody. And I, I see it today all the time and, and all the judgments about millennials. Right. Right. I mean, and I'm currently doing a lot of speaking at HR conferences, helping companies hire their ideal employees. It's just sort of a spin on my book. And really what I'm doing is a lot of times just correcting their mindset about what they think millennials value and truly understand what millennials value and then how to you know, offer a job in a way that resonates for millennials. So judgments and assumptions never serve. So I grew up like a lot of us hearing all these negative assumptions about wealthy people. And I will tell you, after 35 years of photographing them, twice in 35 years what I would say, well, that was a stereotypical, you know, that the, all the negative things I'd heard twice in 35 years. Right. And they were people that I chose not to work with because they showed up right away as people that were not people that I would want to work with. So I actually worked with them. But other than that, 
none of the stereotypes were true. Um, you know, and I had a beautiful experience, you know, chatting real quickly this past weekend. I've been doing a lot of traveling and amongst one of my stops on my travels was to do a portrait session in um, Newport Beach, California, and for a longtime client. And, you know, my, my boyfriend, my current boyfriend, current boy, that sounds terrible. My boyfriend, <laughs> current, uh, but it's a relatively new relationship, six months or so. But he, for the first time, he came along on a photo shoot and he's never witnessed that before. And coincidentally, another one of my longtime photography clients happened to be visiting the area, saw on social media that I was there and I got together with them. So he got to experience two families that have been longtime clients of mine. And he was amazed. He's like, they are the nicest people. They're clearly family-centric. The families that I photographed were families. I don't care. You know, it said the fact they had discretionary income was so that they could afford my services. But what made us tick and connect together well as photographer and client was that we had similar values. Their lives revolved around their families. So although they may have staffs of people in their home, it was all to give them, the parents, the freedom to concentrate on their kids. And those were my ideal clients, the families right. that had the discretionary income to have the housekeepers, the cooks, and everything they needed as a support system so that they focused on their kids and they focused on having a healthy family and they were my ideal customer. I love the, I'm sure you've seen this, the, the chart of who we're looking for as photographers, people who can afford us and love what we do people who can afford us and do not want photography, people who love what we do cannot afford it, and people who don't love it can't afford it. Yeah, so yeah it's kind of a quadrant. Yeah. A quadrant. So you and I are looking for those people who love what we do that are available to invest what we need in order to keep in our business. Mm -hmm. yeah, the, the most tweetable slide in my deck uh, when I'm speaking is a slide that comes out and it's a it's a quote of my own i make sure it's a turning point in my presentations and my talks because i really want people to think differently because to me if you if you understand this quote it completely shifts your whole idea of marketing because it's it's been presented to us wrong right so the quote is it's not your job to prove your value to anyone it is your job to find the people who already value what you do. Mm, exactly. It's, and, and it couldn't be more true because we have been led to believe that in business, it's our job to prove our value to people, to sell our services to people, to convince people to value something they don't already value. If they don't already innately value their family and value photographs and value the role photography plays in their lives as, as capturing those families, if they don't already value that, don't bother, right? You're trying to convince somebody to value something. I don't value jewelry at all. So you could talk to me to the end of your breath, trying to convince me, or, or cars for that matter. I have, look, I, I have no value for cars. Like I'm not a car guy, right? So cars, jewelry, you could talk endlessly trying to convince me to value. You're never going to convince me to spend $300,000 on a car. I don't value it. Right? I drive a Mini Cooper because right. that's about as much, which I love and I, it's adorable and it's fun to drive. That's it for me. Like I'm not a car guy. So a car dealer is never going to win. Right. So it, it's just so pointless and it's a waste of time to try to convince people to value something they don't have good reason to value or already innately value. 
So I look for the people that I used to refer to as family-centric. My ideal customer was family-centric. They geared their lives around their family. That meant they gave their kids the best education. They had the financial means to do that. They had the financial means to have the support system around them so that, that they could focus on their family. My, my ideal client is, again, the extreme affluent. They rarely had nannies. That wasn't, a, that wasn't staff they had in their house. They had the housekeepers, the chefs, they had everything else imaginable but not typically nannies because they were raising their kids. Mm -hmm. They were driving their kids to and from school. If they had a nanny, it was because both parents were working, but often it was you know, a, a more stereotypical structure that dad was working usually on Wall Street and mom was doing all the volunteering and running this household like it was a corporation and, and, and raising the kids. That makes so much sense. And I know that my listeners are having little like explosions in their brains you know, just so clear. So I want to pivot a little bit because I know that you are a squirrel fan. <laughs> <laughs> you reference chasing squirrels. And, you know, my, my reference to that is the distraction that I'm focused in one way and, and then suddenly I'm doing something else and I think, oh, squirrel. But what I understand with you is, is there something much deeper in that that's the reason you've embraced the chasing squirrels as artists, as creatives? And so I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, I, it's, um, you know, I think for a lot of us, what I fight against the most is for those of us that, you know, I'll, I'll just use my show, my podcast, Creative Warriors, as an example. So when I first started Creative Warriors, it's been over five years now and more than 500 episodes. It was, in fact, a show when I started it for creatives in business, creative warriors. And I knew a lot of my followers would be photographers, but I wasn't building a photography. Unlike you, I wasn't doing a photography podcast. I just wanted a, I wanted a little broader. I wanted a show for creatives in business. But what I've learned over the years is I've broadened that to reflect, I think, our world as a whole. So now the show, Creative Warriors, is about businesses and entrepreneurs that are doing out-of-the-box things that need creative solutions in business. The difference for me is that, thankfully, I think we are much more so a world of creative thinkers and innovators. And the problem is, is that we've lived in a really traditional-minded world. And those of us that aren't traditionally-minded those of us that don't behave like everybody else, we are of the greatest asset to the world. We're going to bring the most creativity and innovation. And yet we've suffered against these traditional ideas that you have to pick one thing to do. You have to focus on one thing. You can only have one career path. You need to sit still. All these things that from early age, we have been told how we're different, I think are our greatest leverage points. And chasing squirrels is one of them, although I will say, I mean, I, I try to encourage, you know, that doesn't mean you can run amok all over the place. But, you know, I, I believe creative people and innovative people innately see more, hear more, and feel more. And I don't want to shut that down. I can't help but walk down the street and take in more information than probably your average person. And I'll bet that's true of every one of your listeners because they're creative people. And as photographers, we can't not see the world all the time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we just can't. So why shut that down? And if that means I'm walking down the street and I'm like, oh, look at that tree. Oh, look at that flower. Oh, isn't that beautiful architecture? If I'm chasing squirrels because my mind is bouncing all over the place, why shut that down? 
And then how that relates to a business model is it results in what I believe is a much healthier business model today, which is having multiple streams of income. You know, I think the difference though between lack of focus and chasing squirrels is that there's something core, and this is the work for each of us to do. There's something core to who we are, what we do. You could say it's your purpose, your why, it's something. There's just something you can feel it in your gut. And I've always loved the comparison between how we refer to our, you know, our core strength, meaning our abdomen and gut, how we feel it on our gut. There's something core that we feel in our core, the core of our body, from which all those squirrels point to. And the, the, the work for all of us is to figure out what that core thing is so that all the squirrels you chase, all the things you look at and see are pointing to that, that core. So everything else becomes a, a choice of medium, right? My life is a round transformation. I love watching people transform. I often say witnessing people transform. It, it was true in the darkroom. It was true of people in front of my camera lens. It's true as I look at it as an audience. It's true in the people that I coach. It's true in the businesses that I help transform and they change their branding. Everything I do, I have this beautiful opportunity to witness transformation. That's my core. So everything I do as a photographer or a speaker or a podcast, all the things I do are just choices of medium, like oil paints, pastels, pens, whatever I choose to pick up. But it's all, it's all based on that one core thing of transformation. So wherever we go, there we are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, it's so freeing for a creative-minded person because it's, it's going against a world that still tells us to do all that. And hey, you know, if you're a linear thinker and you're a more logical thinker and you need to focus on one thing and that's your strength, more power to you. Mm-hmm. But let's not shut down those of us that can't help but see everything in the world. Right. Maybe a few weeks ago, a month ago, on your Facebook, you mentioned something about in your core is the ability to see. Do you remember that yeah. post and I said, Jeffrey, we're like one person, two <laughs> bodies. I did a workshop with Kathy Hearn. Some of some of my listeners might know who she is. And it was all about finding what it is you're here to do. And when I boiled down everything, just like you're talking about with the chasing squirrels idea, it was all about I see and then I share what I see. And that has to do with my coaching, with photography, with like friends have said, after spending an afternoon with you, I will never see the world the same again. So I really related. Yeah, that's, yeah, I love that because it plays so well into who you as a photographer. And I think that's, you know, Steve Jobs and his the graduation speech, I think at Stanford, he spoke about connecting the dots and it became a very well-known quote, which I can't reset off the top of my head right now. But I like to think of the idea of connecting dots. I think that's really valuable because a lot of times as we progress through our lives and perhaps we move from one career to the next, because we chase girls, we're moving on to one venture from another. Sometimes we were inclined to turn off the past, you know, and I've been in a major transformation for quite a number of years now, pulling back my photography business so that I could step forward as a coach and consultant and speaker. And yeah, there's only so many time, so much time in a day. So I look at it as levers. Like I've been pulling back this lever to push forward that lever. But knowing never to turn off my past. And I see I've helped so many 
people through career transition. And they so often want to brush the past off where to me, it's connecting dots and it's not easy to do. And I continue, even though I've had 35 years as a photographer, it's more powerful to me today to see how being a photographer serves me as a brand consultant. And they seem to other people completely like separate pieces. But to me, it makes perfect sense because really what I do in branding that other brand experts don't do, because other brand experts, as we think of branding, they take what, what you bring to them and they make it prettier, right? They give you a better brand image. And, but what I do is I find the brandable in people, right? People come because I can see what other people can't see. That's been my role as a photographer for 35 years. I shoot entirely on location. So I show up on locations and I deal with what is the sun, the rocks, the setting, whatever's that I deal with what's there and see something that doesn't already exist. And that's exactly what I do in branding. I relate to that with you as well. I discovered I have that gift. I came up with a little game at a workshop one time I called the identity map where I have people go through magazines and just cut out what strikes them visually not what they want to own, but just, ooh, I like, I like that logo. I like that photograph. I like that design. And then I, I can look at it and tell you a whole color scheme that is somehow really core to you. Mm -hmm. And so many other things. It's like tarot card reading. <laughs> yeah. And so that's a big part of something I love to do as well with people is to discover the essence of who they are, and then how can you communicate that visually and with words? And then that's where the entire lingo story, why it resonated with me, because that helps people translate. This is Lucy here again, jumping in at the end of this part one of Jeffrey Shaw's interview. I loved it so much, and it did run over an hour so I decided to break the content up into two parts. I think this part is so rich in talking about his book, Lingo, and discoveries of finding your ideal client. The concept that we're looking for, at least I have been in my business and Jeffrey and his, that our ideal client is people who are affluent, who are family-centric. And... I really loved the conversation that we had about chasing squirrels, which is something that he brings up a lot in his Creative Warriors podcast, that chasing squirrels is basically for creative people, letting those parts of us that see and feel and hear more than someone that's perhaps a little more linear, letting that run, letting that unfold, and also discovering that core in us that no matter what we do, whether it's riding bikes for a living or painting or singing or coaching or whatever it would be, that our essence is going to shine through. So I'd love to challenge you before the next episode comes out to really take a look at what your core is. What is common, even thinking about yourself as a child and what you did for play, the friends you had, the way you dressed, the way you decorated your room. One of the things I do in my branding exercises is to take people on a journey back to their childhood so that they can remember the essence of who they are. So Jeffrey and I 
I think really have a lot of commonality in that. And what I get is that he's really great at helping people discover their own essence, their personal brand or identity in a way that helps coaching clients and people who read his books and listen to his lectures and so forth get a lot of value out of. So I'm going to stop this here and hope that you'll listen to this more than once because there's so much richness in this first part. And then stay tuned for next week, next Tuesday, where we will continue on and chat about my favorite part of his book, which was the more inner journey. He calls it the entrepreneur ecosystem, affirmations. His favorite quote really connects with that. It's a Jim Rohn, your level of success rarely exceeds your level of personal development. And if you'd like to get in touch with Jeffrey, you can go to jeffreyshaw.com, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-S-H-A-W.com. If you want a review of your website and the lingo that your website communicates, go to lingoreview.com and he will give you some prompts there and he'll give you some ideas of whether or not you're communicating that authentic lingo. And if you need another reason to go to the PPA convention in Nashville in January 2020, he's going to be speaking there with a new problem called the Everything Bagel. And I'm excited. I am planning to be in the first row. So that's it for today. And be sure to tune in next time. And go to lucydumascoaching.com slash group coaching if you want to set up a quick chat or learn more about my group coming up in September 2019 or to register. So have a really awesome week. Bye for now. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.